Hey, wonderfuls, welcome to episode 410 of the JV Club with my wonderful guest, Kate Willett. I did want to give you a heads up. I absolutely loved my conversation with Kate. Um, We do dig into some kind of stuff on the more serious side involving a loss that she experienced as a young person. And so if you are maybe feeling too close to that subject matter uh, in a way that you want to kind of put off and listen to later, um, I invite you to do so, although I do feel that it is a really fascinating conversation and so much of it has to do with kind of the way we treat ourselves when it comes to those kinds of family dynamics and um, you know it's not like we're both bawling our eyes out I think we're it's kind of intellectualized uh, but you know you guys know what I've gone through recently, so I just want to be sensitive to, you know, death and loss and all of that. Uh, sending everyone love. Hope you are doing well, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello to you. I want to say it's always a pleasure to call a 510 number. Um, it really makes me feel like I'm close to the Bay Area, which is important to me. Oh, yeah. I got this phone number when I was a freshman at UC Berkeley, and I was so excited to have the 510 number because my, my growing up area code was 661, which is, you know, I, I felt like it was an uncool area code, not to be... Uh, not to be this in Bakersfield or anything like this, but, you know, I liked the city vibes of my 510. I get it. And listen, everyone knows Bakersfield's, Bakersfield's amazing and no one ever disses <laughs> it. So I don't want you to worry. Exactly. <laughs> oh, Bakersfield. Yeah. I mean, that feels like what a great rite of passage if you are going to Berkeley of all places to to get a new phone with that with that East, uh, East Bay area code. Um that is like that's something I definitely remember feeling excited about I mean I didn't have a cell phone when I first moved to San Francisco because I was uh like I'm older than you but um uh even just yeah getting that phone number and have and like the thrill of because I lived in Arizona uh and it and and I get I mean I guess yeah of course the area codes had to be different but yeah you get so used to the sort of like, oh, these are just area codes I've grown up with that something as simple as an area code feels wildly exotic. I had thought about getting a New York area code when I moved to New York. But then it's like I just, you know, I love getting those random texts from like guys I dated like 10 years ago that are like, you know, hey, what are you doing? <laughs> I, like, I don't respond to them, but I like getting them. <laughs> Feeds the uh-huh. ego, you know? <laughs> <laughs> wait how often does this happen <laughs> um i think it actually it happens to me quite a bit and i think the reason for that is wow. because uh i date and flirt with people that are so emotionally unavailable that it takes them like 10 years <laughs> to realize that they like someone back <laughs> so they're just going through the process you know <laughs> So it really is like there's a there's a deeper underlying meaning and a deeper victory than I would have initially understood to be true when you do get those exploratory texts. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, I think the uh, the weirdest one is there's this guy that has been we briefly made out junior year of high school and uh, he's been texting me since then. Um, which is, I don't want to say my age, but it's it's been a while, let's just say, you know, two, three years. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, he, he'll send me these texts that are like, hey, what are you doing? You know, and then, you know, I'll, I'll respond and I'll, I'll engage in conversation with him. And then he goes for a while. And then, like, I'll get another text from him, you know, a, a couple months later or something. And it's just... It's just this kind of weird thing to uh, to want to like breadcrumb someone for you know uh, a while. Let's just say you know. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a that's a lot to kind of. I mean, do you feel like there? Do you think that there are other 
women that he sort of is maybe also doing that with or and I don't mean to make no, you feel no, less no. special. He's, Obviously, this has nothing to do with your value at all, but in everything to do about no, his he's, behavior. No, he's definitely doing this to, like, many, many, many people. Um, yeah, I, I feel like it's... No, I feel like that's, like, a personality trait. Like, the kind of people that uh, just want to kind of constantly engage in a ton of different conversations. Be like, is this person interested in me? Sure. I'm not interested in him or anything. It's just more, like, nice to hear from someone I went to high school with at this point. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I assume that I am on a long, long list. Yeah. Uh, wait, okay, but so if you... Now, why why am I I'm, I'm I'm treating this like it's a crime scene. Why am I like now I'm like okay, wait. Yeah, we got to get, get the fibers. So, it's a 510 area code, but it could be someone you went to high school with. So, presumably that that phone was new enough, but you were still connected enough to your high school friends that you gave them that 510 area code number. Um so you had like but it was closer to when you would still yeah. keep in touch with them. Yeah. Thus that's yeah, it's like over, it's like from a so you know freshman year of college or whatever when I was still on the on the keeping in touch with everyone from high school train. <laughs> what was your high school like? It sounds like it was full of winners and uh, uh, for dating material. Um, was it a public school? Yeah, I went to a school called Hart High School, and I. I feel like it was about as traditional of like an American movie high school experience as uh, as could be had, you know, like the stars of yeah. our campus were like the football players and the cheerleaders and the quarterback of the football team was the most popular kid. And then there were like drama dorks and, you know, like uh, art people. I was in the choir, uh, but it was. You know, it was in this community where uh, I think that a lot of the families were pretty conservative and um, th they were, uh, I, I don't know, like th it, there was a lot of kids that were like religious, but also like, you know, not really uh, devout in their religion, like still, you know, throwing big parties and drinking and hooking up in the back mm -hmm. of cars and stuff. It, it felt very Dawson's Creek sometimes. Well, and that's funny because as you were saying that, I mean, I don't know that I've ever articulated this in exa exactly this way, but especially when we talk about parts of California, you know, we're, a lot of us who live in coastal cities or sort of live in that quote unquote liberal bubble, however you want to think about it, um, talk about how much like uh, other parts of America, how consistently certain areas, no matter what state you're in, um, have this kind of universality to them. And that's, I think, Bakersfield is actually kind of a good example of that, right? Is like what you described could, could be taking place in, you know, Lansing, Michigan. It could be taking place in San Antonio, Texas. It could be taking place. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Yeah, totally. I I, I want to clarify, I'm sorry if this is going to be a big disappointment to the Bakersfield listeners, but I didn't actually grow oh, up in great. Bakersfield. I grew up oh, in great. I grew up in Santa Clarita, which is the same oh, area code. Jeez. Yes. <laughs> I got to start this whole thing I know, all over again. I know. I am known for establishing truth in the very beginning of the podcast if i can't get a straight true answer right at the beginning what's the purpose well i i understand if you want to cancel at this point you know i oh. no no intentions to be dishonest it's just that santa uh, clarita yeah i don't know kate i don't know uh you you're gonna have to sell me on this okay. conversation continuing okay santa clarita here we are uh selling points the, the main one is magic mountain um, yes. From a perspective of a high school student, really great place uh, to hook up with someone on a roller coaster. Um, sure. Yeah. To, uh, you know, sneak small quantities of, of marijuana if you're that kind of kid or, you know, if you're like a if you're a good high school student, uh, excellent summer jobs as a, a mascot of some kind, you know? So oh, that's sure. really the main selling point. If you don't point. like suffocate and smother in a mascot outfit and on in hot weather, that always worried me. Yeah, absolutely. Did you do that? Did you do any of the above? Um, yeah, I had a season pass to Magic Mountain, I think my freshman year. Um, I'm coming around to the Santa Clarita thing. Yeah. I'm starting to come around. Yeah, I had a season pass and, you know, a lot of people had a season pass because, like, 
back at that time it was like magic mountain or the mall those were like the two places to go and the season pass to magic mountain was like the price of going like one and a half times you know so right a lot of people like did that as the main social activity and i i definitely had uh many uh awkward dates in in high school there for sure now, when you say hooking up with someone on a roller coaster, I got to tell you, I used to love roller coasters. I mean, I feel like every person past 35, except with a few exceptions of friends of mine that still love them, kind of says the same thing, which is like, oh, God, I used to be so into them. And now they make me sick or whatever. And I'm definitely one of those people. Even so, I'm trying to think if I would have been like in a good makeout mode on a roller coaster, I'm not sure I could, like, keep it together enough. Well, I mean, you do it before and after. Like, you don't do it while you're actually going around the loop, you know? Because <laughs> that feels like an opportunity to accidentally bite someone's Yeah, I was going to say, it, so- it sounds <laughs> bitey. It sounds pretty bitey. Right. Yeah. Right, right. Okay, so you had a season pass. You did not work as a mascot. That's definitely a point against this conversation being about Santa Clarita, but whatever. Um, And you did not sneak uh, marijuana in there? Um, My date did. Yeah. My, Mm -hmm, uh, mm yeah. No, I I had a couple boyfriends do that. And I didn't work as a mascot, but I did work as a hostess uh, in Santa Clarita's coolest restaurant at that time so i don't know if that counts for anything and what and what was that restaurant that restaurant no idea if it still exists but it was called the salt creek grill and it was like not in the mall but it was right by the mall and that was like the happening place for a little while because there wasn't that much stuff going on and they had like a fire pit outside and like it was a restaurant that also had a bar um, which was kind of a rare thing other than like TGI Fridays. Um, right. So, yeah, I was a hostess there and uh, there was like kind of two tiers of hostess. There was like the the very uh, conventionally attractive hostesses and they would get to be at the front desk. And then there was like the other kind of hostess that like got to walk people to the tables and <laughs> distribute the menu. And I was on I was on that tier. I was a B-level hostess. I see, I see. Um, and <laughs> yeah, I, one of the things that I just want to establish for anybody who isn't familiar with Southern California is that this is also a really good example of, you know, being in close proximity. Not to say that Los Angeles is so glamorous by any stretch of the imagination, and, and it may not be as dramatic as, you know, people, friends of ours, uh, you know, who lived in Jersey and who, you know, were so were close to the city, but they were but it was night and day. That's not the case with Southern California. But still, there is something to, you know, just for those of us who came from who grew up in like, I mean, I grew up in a city where there was just nothing even close by to the city I lived in. But living in someplace like Santa Clarita, like for, for those who don't know, you know, you could drive from from Magic Mountain, you could drive never leave like Every second of your drive, you would still be in the city uh, or in the suburbs. You would never feel like you were between cities, right? Yeah. And then you could be, and then you would be in LA, which has you know, kind of a lot going on. You could say, um, and so it is it, it, what it you know to have that awareness of like, yeah, there's not you know, listen, this is the cool restaurant here in Santa Clarita. Did you have that sense of like? You know, but there was like eight cities all around my city that all have their own coolest restaurant, etc. Well, um, so I feel like Santa Clarita and it's probably changed a lot now, but that felt like it was a real sort of area into itself. And Santa Clarita has Valencia, Saugus, Canyon Country and Newhall. And when it comes to like hanging out the the cool place for hanging out at that time was definitely Valencia that was like the the main uh capital of Santa Clarita or something um and uh it was like it was a big stretch to go into the San Fernando Valley even though it was like close by like you you could do that but I think the the thing about Santa Clarita at that time 
at least was it was a place where you could kind of like run into people that you knew and you know you kind of go out mm. and like see everyone around and stuff like that sure and so it felt like at least most of the time when I was in high school unless I was going to go to like you know third street promenade or universal city walk or something like that where it was like really like a, a day trip that we would yeah. kind of stick around that sort of main drag of like the mall salt creek grill uh the walk in between because that's where you would uh see and be seen you know <laughs> that's great okay we're gonna take a break i will be back after a word from our wonderful buddies at maximum fun hey kid your dad tell you about the time he broke steven dorf's nose at the kids choice awards <laughs> In Dead Pilot Society, scripts that were developed by studios and networks but were never produced are given the table reads they deserve. When I was a kid, I had to spend my Christmas break filming a PSA about angel dust. So yeah, being a kid sucks sometimes. Presented by Andrew Reich and Ben Blacker. Dead Pilot Society, twice a month on MaximumFun.org. You know, the show you like, that hobo with the scarf who lives in a magic dumpster. <laughs> Doctor Who? Yeah. Um, and you were in choir, so that's hot stuff. Yeah, I, I, I wasn't fully honest with you on that point either. Uh, oh, I was, I was not boy, just boy. in choir. I was in show choir. Okay. Yes, indeed. Now I know what show choir was. A handful of years ago, before I started this podcast, I did not know what show choir is. Uh, now I do, and hats off to you. For folks who don't know, it's a, it's kind of a mix of what would happen if you crossed musical theater, cheerleading, and like Las Vegas style showgirl performance. Um, <laughs> so you you sing songs from musicals, usually like kind of old school musicals like uh guys and dolls or um trying to think uh what was another one that we did uh hello dolly we had some stuff from hello <laughs> dolly uh music man um you know you and then you sometimes some uh remixes of, of pop songs like uh choral versions um and then oh. there would be complicated choreography that went along with it um you know, jazz hands were a, a huge theme. Uh, ja jazz hands, uh, you know, various uh, turns, you know, like uh, three, three point turns. I can't remember if that's from a car or from dancing, but, <laughs> um, but you know, there was, there was like 40, I was in the all women's show choir and there was like 40 of us and, you know, we all did these routines and sometimes there'd be stunts with like tossing people in the air and like costume changes and you you'd go to competitions and compete against the other show choirs is that something that you feel a nostalgia for on any level like is there part of you that kind of misses all of that or is it something that you sort of like acknowledge this was a part of my life I would I don't miss it it was great at the time but that was then well I don't know if I had nostalgia as much as I had like I was like very motivated by a form of spite because I made <laughs> so the the all-girls show choir was like the JV level show choir and varsity show choir was the mix show choir it was called sound vibes okay. and sound vibes. sound vibes yeah I was in heartbreakers for Heart High School. That sounds better. Can yeah. we agree Heartbreaker sounds way cooler than Sound Vibes? Yeah, Sound Vibes was, you know, it was, uh, <laughs> it was, it was like pretty much the same thing, except for that's where all like the really strong singers went and also the really strong dancers and, you know, like the people who were like, okay, this person could potentially have a career in musical theater. And I really wanted to have some kind of career as a performer and, I never made sound vibes because I was only an okay singer and an even worse dancer. And that was like one of the big heartbreaks of my life that like senior year, I did not make sound vibes. Uh, and mm -hmm. I felt like it was, it was definitely still motivating me. Uh, 
for a long time. Like when I shot the Netflix uh, 15 minute special on the comedy lineup, like one of my first thoughts when it was done was I'll show you sound vibes. You know, it didn't really go away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Kate, I have the same thing. I have the same thing. Like I, I'm, I'm sure I've talked about this before, but I didn't, I didn't make like my, uh, my, my professor who was also the director of a play that I was in like my sophomore year in college had the option of nominating like you know three finalists for the Irene Ryan award or so you know like some sort of regional competition that you would then go on to and um he and I was one of the leads of the the play and he did not pick me he picked like my the other lead of the play and then like a couple of other people and I I, I didn't I like it took me years to understand how damaged I was by that which sucks it doesn't speak well of me that I would be so broken but like it just did and that's why I talk about on the podcast sometimes being so vulnerable to criticism and you know not being one of those kids that was like you know my confidence comes from within like I, I was one of those kids who was sort of always waiting for someone to go you know let me instill you with even more imposter syndrome. Yeah. Or, you know, whatever. Just like, rest assured, I'm the one who knows what's real and you don't deserve this thing. Therefore, you can extrapolate that to mean you deserve nothing in life. <laughs> so, yeah. No, I, I relate like, to that when so some, hard. Yeah. And when, good th- and when good things would happen, like in my career, which was, you know, a decade after that, because I didn't jump right into performing as an adult. I like avoided it probably because of that. I, there was a, such a sense of like, you mother, I showed you like, oh, Janet, you're still very bitter about this thing. <laughs> Surprise. Yeah, no, it's I feel like I have a wound still from like not getting cast in a musical when I was in sixth grade because I went from an elementary school where there was like 17 kids in my class to like a pretty big junior high. And I had been like the star of all of the musicals in elementary school. You know, I mean, they were like not real musicals. It was about like fruits and vegetables and healthy eating. And I would <laughs> I, I, I would get to be like the apple, you know. Um, so I was like, you know, I, I, everyone knows the apple is the star yeah. of any musical about fruits and vegetables. Yeah. But then in uh, in uh, sixth grade. I went to a, a big junior high and they had like auditions for the secret garden, which was like one of my favorite musicals and books as a kid. And I did not even get a call back for Mary. And I was like, I, you know, that was like that. I think I carried that with me for like a long, long yeah. time, <laughs> a baggage around auditioning. I get it. I get it. And yet again, I want to emphasize being a heartbreaker to me sounds infinitely cooler sound vibes. I'm so sure. Also, both of those names, admittedly, and I I mean, I'm not even this old, but like that does sound like it could be 1983. Like it sounds those are names of choir groups that sound like they have as much place in the early to mid 80s and John Hughes movies than in later years. Yeah, I think that like there was something about the aesthetic which was a little bit not current like uh, not just of um not just of like heartbreakers or sound vibes but of the whole show choir scene um there is like this this weird like wholesomeness to it that like the, I don't know. There's an element of of denialism. Like for example, in Sound Vibes, like I I have kept in touch with some of the men that were in Sound Vibes, and you know, surprise surprise, like a lot of them ended up coming out as as queer in college and beyond. You know, um, mm-hmm. and it was so obvious <laughs> when we were in high school, and everyone, you know, like all the moms and stuff would be like, oh, like. Oh, Evan and Katie or, you know, Katie and Steve are going to be like such a great couple and they're going to get married. And it's like, OK, oh. uh, that's clearly not what's going to happen, you know, but uh-huh. there was this weird oh, sort of like pretending around it that like was yeah. part of the whole uh, aesthetic and experience that, you know, everybody was just like 
gonna be you know living the the christian lifestyle forever right and did you have brothers and sisters yeah um i grew up with my brother john and not to make your podcast sad but he passed away 10 years ago and then oh oh, you can make it sad i'm so sorry oh yeah i mean you know john was in show choir too and he was amazing um he was really sick for most of his life um and uh yeah so you know uh other like other people i grew up with like i had some cousins that lived in the area and we all hung out and stuff but uh yeah that was that's that's mostly that i'm sorry i don't know what to say because i want to be funny about something that's a real bummer (laughs) no oh my god no please anybody who listens to my podcast knows we've talked about all manner of things happening and i would say death uh Death is a frequent visitor. What do I, what am I? Um, no, no, no. I mean, I listen, first of all, we don't have to talk about it at all uh, if you don't want to. But second of all, um, that's I'm interested in what happens in people's lives and whether, you know, I don't I certainly don't expect it all to be hilarious, nor would I want it to be, because I think some of the most, you know, valuable things that have happened out of the podcast have been people finding each other or feeling connected about something that happens uh that was very difficult or you know in many cases tragic and and also like learning how so many of us develop these different coping skills uh at all these different places in our lives some sooner than others and like what a fucking journey that is but also like what a lifesaver humor is yeah absolutely i think that that was a really big thing for me and it was also for my brother too and yeah i mean i'm totally totally down to talk about it because it was a big big part of my high school experience um as you know as well as john's um but uh yeah he so my brother had and i wrote about this in um in the audio audiobook that i just um just wrote and this was like kind of the first time i really talked about it a lot but my brother grew up with a really rare disease called an avm which is like this type of tumor that um like it just kind of it's not cancerous but it's really dangerous and he had that from the time he was eight until the time he was 23 so definitely Hmm. for me like a lot of like high school was kind of having this one experience of like you know just very high school like going to school trying to be popular but then also like uh having a lot of like family stuff at home that I felt like I you know my peers would not necessarily relate to and the more that I have kind of gone on in life like I realized that that is an experience that a lot of people like can relate to from being younger is like this sort of the sense of like okay my life is actually a little heavier than like is Mm -hmm. uh possible to to process with other 14 year olds you know and i i think that that i think that that is kind of like that's that's sort of been one of my uh reliefs about adulthood is like kind of realizing like oh like you can be yourself and talk about what's really happening with you and that's like you know that's part of friendship as a grown-up. And so, yeah, I'm, I couldn't agree more. And 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 so did you have, so you kind of had that situation in high school where you didn't necessarily, fe- like, have friends that either could handle or that you even wanted to go there with on, like, the sort of existential realities that, you know you guys were sort of faced with at home uh I didn't know anyone that could really relate to what I was dealing with and I think that I had friends who would try to be supportive but like I'm trying to figure out how to put this into words here so my brother was really sick and my you know my mom and my dad were pretty much taking care of him full time and the pressure that I felt for myself was to be like a really good, perfect daughter that like got good grades and never caused any trouble. And I felt like that pressure kind of coming from my friends and their parents as well. Like it was very much just like, you know, 
Kate, you got to be a good kid, help your family. Mm. And like that makes total sense. But I don't like I didn't feel a lot of like openness to sort of think or talk about my own emotions during that time until I was like old, you know? (laughs) Yeah, that's huge. I mean, someone very, very, very close to me um, had had a very similar experience. And, you know, I see that reflected in who they are now um, in in such a profound way. And I think for the most part, it's actually really positive because it, there's so much compassion there um, and so much like 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 willingness to, to listen to others because of that experience. But um, I mean, I see a lot of guilt, you know, that that people process with stuff like that. And and a sense of, and and sometimes the guilt isn't it's not as like people think that it's like this literal survivor guilt where it's just like you feel like it's not okay for you to have had you know a life at all but that even sometimes it does come out with this sort of like i like you can't necessarily put your finger on why you feel like you don't deserve something and it could be a small thing or it could be a big thing um and i don't know if that's something that you know that you see or that you experience with other people when you guys talk about this stuff but that's definitely something that I've been really up close and personal to and felt in my own way as an adult and it's it's um that's that's textured <laughs> layered stuff that is going on um that a lot of kids aren't dealing with yeah i think like and i feel like this is this is something that i really have related to especially um with other people who had a really um really ill sibling like someone like a sibling who was terminally ill or had a lot of medical problems of like kind of being so in the mode of like thinking about what everyone else needs that it feels like really hard to even know how you're feeling a lot of the time and like Mm -hmm. I understand like that as sort of a an adaptive like coping mechanism that probably worked well at the time but like like one of the things for me is like like learning that like okay to like be you know an adult in relationships at this point and stuff like actually have to know you know what I feel and what I need and stuff like that and it's it's still really easy for me to like kind of go to the place where I'm just kind of like completely sort of like uh externalizing everything and you know kind of trying to to figure out like how to make everyone else happy but as an adult (laughs) that's called like codependency and stuff and it's a thing (laughs) that people have to deal with you know and so I you know I, I I'm I'm definitely glad that like at least now um there's a lot of people who sort of like are talking about like you know relationships and mental health and like how to you know how to be like a happy healthy self-actualized person and I don't know that's been been one of the great uh rewards of not being a teenager anymore oh my gosh absolutely and so what was the what what was going on you don't have to get specific but when you did go off to Berkeley kind of where in the in the timeline did that fall was it was it hard leaving home did it feel like a relief was it both um yeah I definitely both uh so I when I my senior year of high school uh I applied to like almost all public schools um in California and um I got into UCLA and I got into Berkeley and I could tell that my parents were really conflicted about it. I think my mom really wanted me to go to UCLA um, mm-hmm. so that I would be closer at home. But then there was part of me that just like had always really wanted to go to Berkeley. It was like my dream college and it was where sure. like my grandfather went to school and I think, you know, at the end of the day, like my parents wanted me to to go to the school that like I most wanted to go to. Um, And, you know, I I got in and I got a scholarship and stuff and they didn't they did not want 
to ask me to forego that, but it also was like not uncomplicated because I, I definitely felt really guilty about going. And I think that my parents were mad at me sometimes for going too, you know? And, uh, I mean, the thing about it is like, you know, my brother's illness was so like long and ongoing. And at that point we were like 10 years into it, you know? And then, uh, past that point, um he was struggling with it for almost another 10 years so it was this Mm. it was definitely this sense of like okay like to what extent do I not do things like in order to kind of be present for this situation you know um I don't want to call my brother a situation but I mean like all of his medical care and of course um, of course like but yeah, I think that's like one of the things when someone who is like living with like a, a longer term serious medical situation is that, you know, in short term things, it's like drop everything. It's an emergency. We're not focusing on anything besides this. But when someone is having like a, you know, many, many, many year situation at a certain point, like you have to like ask yourself like, okay, what are the other parts of my life? Like you can't be completely, you can't neglect everything else for, for years and years, you know? Of course not. Of course not. I mean, yeah, that's, oh boy. It's those, those family, I mean, you know, family dynamics can be so complicated anyway. And, and mostly are, I mean, I don't know many families that didn't have, you know, just complicated dynamics. And then, you know, and then it just is is multiplied exponentially by something so specific. And, you know, not like, listen, you know, you <laughs> I'm sure everybody was mad at everybody for not the not at, not at like as if any better decisions could be made. It's just like, you know, also you probably were mad at them sometimes because you did feel like you couldn't just sort of get, you know, be a focus or be, you know, to, to feel your feelings. It's not that they were telling you you couldn't, but that all of that stuff comes into play. So, I mean, I just have tremendous sympathy for you and I think you're a total badass. And sometimes people don't like hearing that because they're like, listen, I didn't choose it and I made a lot of mistakes. Um, please don't put that on me. But uh, unfortunately, from the outside, you know, it's when it's someone you admire, it's hard not to go, well, that sounds really hard. And I really admire what you do. So I'm, you know, ergo, I'm going to go ahead and assume that you're tough as shit in a good way. Oh, well, thank you. you Thanks. And that means a lot. And yeah, I guess like the only other thing that I want to say kind of about that time that has been like really powerful for me to reflect on as an adult and I'm, I'm saying this because I do think that people who have been through a situation like this kind of will identify with it is like yeah when I was you know like 12 13 14 I look at myself during that time and I'm like okay I made some selfish decisions and I was so mad at myself for a while but then now mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, 12 year olds are selfish. <laughs> like that's what's supposed <laughs> to be happening, you know? And so Absolutely. it's like, it's so easy to sort of like project like your standards for yourself as an adult human all the way back into the past, A you know, for like, 100%. yeah, for what you should have done or whatever. But like 12 year olds are supposed to be 12, you know? <laughs> I know. I mean, I couldn't relate more to that. And I think that's one of the reasons that I even like doing this podcast and I've been doing it so long is that that it is so important to be able to like, here we are, we're all on this trajectory. And so, you know, we're all on the same. We're like, if it's you, you've lived inside your body and short of like, you know, having someone press pause by going to sleep for five years and then waking up and and feeling like you're getting a fresh start. It's so hard to sort of put like some sort of period on an era or a series of choices, an age, whatever, and not continue to just build up all of the life experience and all of the self-judging and all of the emotional development and stuff. And then, yeah, exactly as you said, reapply it back to that person rather than, you know, and like that's why the whole inner child thing 
as hokey as as it sounds and i think as 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 hokey as it seemed when that was sort of like you know very much in the zeit like the psychological zeitgeist the sort of self-help zeitgeist it sounded so dumb but like when you sort of take it apart to its its elements it's like oh you just need to be able to step outside of yourself because if you looked at that freaking 12 year old kid just outside like with no attachment emotionally to who that kid is you'd be like oh my god look at that child yeah look at that little child and what they're going through no you know completely. And that's like that's what it is you know a life-changing moment for me i was like i was in my t- well into my 20s already like um i saw i found this article about my family uh, in the paper for my hometown, like, and this was like from a long time. This was from when I was like 13 years old, maybe. Um, and it was this whole article that was written about my brother's medical condition and what my parents were doing to try to help him out. And, um, you know, also like fundraising for expensive surgeries that were not covered by insurance and like you know there was this like really really sad piece um with an interview with my mom and then like one of the last lines of the article was like you know john also has a sister and Hmm. i Hmm. like i something about seeing that outside i was like man like this who is this sister like she's she's been through some shit you know and it like it kind of allowed me to forgive myself in a new way like seeing it i love that yes that's so i totally get it i got chills to be honest with you when you said that that's huge that's huge and it's isn't it interesting that it was in print do you know what i mean it's so interesting because that is the same sort of remove in a, in a way, like seeing, you know, seeing it in black and white, like the way our brains process stuff, I think it makes a lot of sense that seeing it told in the third person like that, where you actually got to sort of see from the outside, like, oh, yeah, this is actually how I how I felt <laughs> like, right. Th- there's that. And, it, and 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 the the person who knew the least about you, who sort of tacked it on at the end of this article, ended up having this, you know, like like this shot straight into your your heart of like oh thank you yes i recognize this now yeah <laughs> you know, i think that's huge yeah totally and so in and so in uh you mentioned a couple of boyfriends and of course you know some early uh before roller coaster and after roller coaster making out and stuff and you joked earlier uh when we were talking about kind of you know emotionally unavailable people was there a sense of kind of wanting to escape um whether or not you recognized it at the time and just sort of ending up do you think that you were attracted to people who were not going to dig too deeply into your emotionality i don't even know if that's a word let me as an example i got involved with guys who really were like i like they were like more interested in and soul analysis than i was they were writing poetry and yes some of them did end up coming out and um you know but but so there's a different like what like what are we hungry for or what are we sort of running away from or what are we escaping as adolescents that i'm kind of interested in in terms of how it applies to that well so that's a hard question to answer because and I'll tell you why because I am bisexual and I Same. really mostly liked girls in high school uh and okay. I mostly liked straight girls because I didn't yeah, know let's add that I, I didn't know any uh any other gay girls you know and so yeah. everyone I liked was emotionally unavailable but I'm not sure and if- the way you described the high school it definitely was not opening itself up to yeah even if you knew girls you thought were straight who weren't it's not like you would ever have any way of knowing that yeah exactly well I mean so after high school I did learn that one of my uh, my good friends was not straight and we ended up having a relationship for like seven years and got married um, and uh, got divorced and and all that stuff but uh, yeah before before her whoever I wrote about her in the book as Molly so I'll just keep using that name but there was also this other girl that I really really liked who was like probably one of my biggest infatuations of my whole life her name was Christina and uh it was it's just really weird because like she i think was like 
she's definitely reciprocating like a little bit of the interest you know like there was a lot Mm -hmm. there was a lot of flirting we kissed a few times and I don't I don't know if she was interested in me or if it just like felt good to like have someone be that into her because I was so into her you know but that was a it was a really confusing situation that like dominated most in my uh my inner romantic life when I was in high school and I I even had a boyfriend like for part of it and he was a really sweet guy and I I don't know I mean I'm sure I didn't like show up in that relationship like Oh, sorry if you can hear my little cats in the background. Um, but I, I Oh, I wish I could. Unfortunately, I can't. Oh, uh, they're really bad. They're really cute, but they're really bad. <laughs> but I was going to say, like, I, I, I don't know if I, like, I, I probably didn't show up in that relationship really well. Like, I definitely wasn't like, oh, this is a great example of a securely attached high school student. But I wasn't even sure what standards to, like, hold myself to because I thought that I was probably not even attracted to men, you know, or boys or whatever. Yeah. No, I mean, again, like not to harp on it, but you did you using the terms I didn't show up in that relationship to describe being a teenager. That in and of itself is such a great example of using like really adult concepts in a, in a way to describe like this very tumultuous, crazy period of time in which it would have been kind of disturbing if you had been incredibly present <laughs> and shown up in that relationship. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. But, I mean, we were together for, like, three years. So, okay, you know, that's a while. That's yeah, a while. no, no, it, it is. And But I just feel like, I don't know, I feel like if you're going to be with someone for, like, three years, <laughs> you should either, like, be sort of emotionally available Fair or enough. break up. Uh, Fair enough. Fair enough. But I didn't do either of those things. <laughs> in fairness i did not necessarily expect you to say three years so i'm gonna backpedal a little bit on what i was saying no but i i know what you mean because it's like but but it's true but yeah i mean look you've you've already we've already placed this in a context that you know nobody in their right mind would would go "Mm, yeah i guess you could have done better kid you really could have done a better job you just chose not to you know clearly that's not what was going on oh yeah but you know um god yeah this i can like definitely relate to uh, a a lot of that as well um and uh and so what and just to make it light for a second because then i want to get into this mash game with you which is kind of a fun light uh airy little powder puff ending to to the podcast uh allowing it to get deep and heavy if we want um is what were you kind of into what were your sort of like entertainment escapes if you had them were there things that you just absolutely like a tv show you absolutely had to watch or you know a movie you would see six times in the theater or music that you felt you know this this band understands me was there stuff like that um i was super into liz fair i was so freaking into liz fair i was pretty into ani defranco uh but i really liked like the uh you know, late nineties or even mid nineties, I guess, but it wasn't, it wasn't, some of it was like older by the time I encountered, but like the whole, like a uh, lady singer songwriter thing. I loved it yeah. so much. I still love it. Honestly. Ani, listen, Ani has a song. Like she has like eight songs about every raw emotional moment you could ever have in your life. It's very valuable. I think for, for people to kind of have that just somebody who's just like out there able to express that I mean that stuff was my lifeline you know music was my absolute lifeline at my my worst moments yeah Um, and did you were you uh were you like a nerd fan about anything outside of music were you like you know, some people play. I'm I'm speaking of like, and this was not me. Somebody who was you know bright enough to like play chess or be into D and D or um, you know, I wasn't even like a nerd for the stuff I thought I was a nerd for. For when I talked to some people and they're they're like, I'm like, oh, that's really what it meant to be a fan. I guess I just liked that thing. I thought I was super into. <laughs> I mean, I definitely collected every book that had like a lesbian or bisexual character that I could get my hands on and also yeah. watched every movie with a lesbian yeah. or bisexual character. Which, by character. the way, you could... 
and you could get through those pretty quick as recently as 10 years ago. Yeah. Like there, I, a couple, a couple years ago I did like, I'm not super active on Instagram or any social media, unfortunately, but I did sort of feel inspired to, um, do like, I, I don't even remember how many it was. It may have only been like eight because I genuinely only had eight, but like movies that I clung to in high school and college, because they had those kinds of relationships, some version of a relationship depicted um, between two women. And uh, I mean, it really was like I definitely could count them on my hands. I wouldn't need my toes to uh, to count off those movies. So I super get it. Well, I think one of the things that was hard about it at that time, and I, I can't even really remember a ton of specific examples, but I feel like most books and movies about like, uh, lesbian teens or something there was always like somebody turned out to be straight or somebody turned out to die and like it was oh totally yeah either the either the bisexual teen is a murderer or a psychopath or like someone's heart gets broken or someone gets sick and dies or yeah or someone's like oh I just I know actually I'm gonna have to break your heart like for sure there's not a whole lot of there was not a whole lot of like positive role model stuff happening. I really liked the movie, but I'm a cheerleader. That movie was like, oh, so good. Yeah, that movie really got me when I was in high school because that yes. was like a, a kind of positive, happy. Uh, Absolutely, that was a, a really good one. And it was still like that. It that you know, it was still very dark and satirical, yet had a very optimistic message. And that, to me, I think was like exactly the kind of stuff I needed. Because I was too, you know, so many of us are like wise ass youngsters. So we feel like we need the cynicism, but we're also so soft and gushy underneath and just want to be told everything's going to be okay. So sometimes that's like the best delivery method for those kinds of stories. You know what I mean? Yeah, no. And it was, uh, I don't know. It was just like, it was, even though the examples were, like, so small, like, just to see, like, any kind of, like, happy queer representation at all was, like, yeah. so good. Because, I mean, I, there was only, like, I only knew one gay person when I was in high school who was out. Uh, his name was Brian. And, uh, like, I, I was really super excited when he came out to me because I was like, oh, my gosh, like, I'm going to have someone that I can, like, talk to and relate to about all this stuff. But, like, in reality, we couldn't really relate that much because, like, his life was, like, driving down to, like, Santa Monica and, like, hooking up with guys on the beach and, like, partying. And I was like, oh, well, I've been writing a poem about my friend Christina for three years, you know? like <laughs> Right, right, right. Yeah. Oh, oh, it's time for a quick break. I will be back after a word from our friends at Maximum Fun. Hi, I'm James, host of Minority Corner, which is a podcast that's all about intersectionality. It's hosted by James with a guest host every week. Discussing all sorts of wonderful issues, nerdy and political. Pop culture. Black, queer, feminism. Race, sexuality. News. You're going to learn your history, their self-empowerment, and it's told by what feels like your best friend. Why should someone listen to Minority Corner? Why not? Oh my God, free stuff. There's not free stuff. The listeners of Minority Corner will enjoy some necessary LOLs, but mainly a look at what's happening in our world through a colorful lens. People will get the perspective of marginalized communities. I feel heard. I feel seen. Like you said, you need to understand how to be more proactive in your community, and this is a great way to get started. Join us every Friday on Max Fun or wherever you get your podcast. Minority, Minority Corner. Corner. Because, because together, together, we're the majority. This is giving me some good ideas, I think, for these MASH categories. So if you wouldn't mind, I would love to, for my first of uh, category, I would love to ask you for, uh, let's do three singer-songwriters that... Um, we that will are going to be writing an album sort of dedicated to you that uh there's gonna be a series of songs um upbeat downbeat anything in between but it's going to be kind of a concept album that is for kate okay um let's do liz fair for sure great let's do courtney love throwback um great and let's do and this is somebody i liked in high school or anybody it could be anybody 
you know what? Let's just throw Ani on there because she's top of mind. So, yeah. Right. Okay, awesome. All right, next category, let's do three places in the world, whether you've been there or not, that uh, we are going to give you a second home. And we're just going to pretend like uh, COVID's not a thing and like that we can sort of teleport you either way. Okay, cool. Um, so let's do Mexico City. Um, let's do Rome. And let's do Buenos Aires. Awesome. Okay. Next category, let's do three movies that you can jump into and you're not reliving the plot. You're just in there in that world with those characters, kind of living that experiential life. So this should be something that I want, right? Like uh, examples of like (laughs) good life. Okay. Um, (laughs) I mean, I don't want to stick you into platoon unless that feels super important to you to do. No, no, no. Um, Let's do, oh man, I don't know why it's so hard to think of like, movies i've been watching so many movies during the quarantine but they're all like horror movies so i'm like i don't want to (laughs) go into a situation where there's like a killer chasing me um okay let's do when harry met sally i love that movie let's do empire records that's a sure high school movie that i love so much um and let's do uh there's this movie called Hunt for the Wilder People that is uh, some- oh, sure. something I saw recently and I loved it. And it's about like uh, an, or- an orphan and his uh, adopted dad that they go on a journey through the, the bush in New Zealand. And I would that's love Taika to go Waititi, in that world. Right? Yeah, Taika Waititi. Yeah. yeah. I'd love oh, to be in that that's world. That's the best humor and gentleness and magic. Absolutely. Love it. Love it. Love it. Okay. Three foods that in our reality either are sort of ecologically maybe not uh, very conscientious or you're allergic to them or it's simply like I wish I could eat a pan of brownies but I my heart would explode from uh, the sugar. In this world, everything is equal and you can have whatever it is, however rare, even if you only had it once, you can have whatever it is whenever you want at the snap of your fingers with zero ramifications. Three. Oh, hell yeah. Okay. Milkshakes, chocolate milkshake, pizza. Always a fave, even though I eat it so much. And let me see uh, something really, really good. Um, Chocolate-covered strawberries. Whoa. Great. Okay, great. All right, next category. (laughs) This just came to me as we were doing the last one. Three rides. I don't care if it's Disneyland, Magic Mountain, or any other place where you've gone on, like, an amusement park ride. Three rides that you are going to, you're going to, we're going to give you someone to make out with that will come later in the game. Three rides that you have to make out with them on. And you have to like make out with them, not just at the beginning and end. So I want you to think about rides that you could stand like having some heavy, heavy petting going on while they're happening. Three. Okay. All right. Let's do It's a Small World. I'm just going to assume that we get to be on this ride alone and that there are no children around. Um, You bet. Uh, the Haunted House, also from Disneyland. Um, Great. And Technically a mansion. I'm just going to say mansion, mansion for okay. all those people out there who are like uh, nails on a chalkboard, if I don't correct you. Yes. <laughs> and uh, let's do, um, let me see, what other really good rides? Uh, okay. Let's do Pirates of the Caribbean. Pirates of the Caribbean. Sure. Let's do that. I'm just saying if you're going to do the Haunted Mansion, I mean, that is a good Pirates might be the best of all of them just because um, you don't have to listen to the Small World song. over. Yeah. For some reason, I was confusing those in my mind, but let's put them both on. (laughs) Yeah. I still applaud your choices. Um, Okay. Next category. Actually, let's do our romantic partner. Um, Now, listen, this is MASH. I don't care. You don't have to pick someone thinking like, oh, I'm going to be with this person for eternity. This could be a one night stand for all I care. This could be a one amusement park makeout ride for for all I care. Or it could be, you know, I want this person to be my alternate universe wife. But three people, I don't care if they're characters, animals, cartoons, actors, actresses, historical figures, any age, any era. It's all up to you. Okay. I'm going to throw in someone that feels like uh very cliche but i have non-cliched reasons i'm gonna say antonio banderas because i'm a huge amadovar fan and i just like i love like his early movies so 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 much um 
let's do uh by the way very justified and a hundred percent agree and i might put i i think i would want like a penelope cruz to get tossed in perhaps yeah no okay let's it, throw penelope cruz reasons. in there that sounds great so antonio oh, banderas penelope cruz and um trying to think of like a a musician for that like a musician uh flavor let's do yeah okay anybody ever like and it's just de- yeah, dead or alive ever. okay dead or alive um let's go with uh the coolest person from like history maybe let's do let's just do like john <laughs> lennon for like a super great <laughs> cliche choice great. Uh, great okay i love that you're like i honestly don't really care who it is as long as they like are a big deal and did some good things <laughs> yeah you know i'm, I'm about the person on the john lennon, great yeah yeah that's great i love it um okay second to last category let's do three alternate universe uh, careers that you get to dabble in and we're just going to assume that only the good stuff that you imagine about those careers is true and you don't have to deal with any of the bullshit okay um journalist um uh, politician like senator um and a painter artist uh and then a final category let us do three i'm thinking i'm thinking of what i want to end with let's do three i'm only thinking of stupid things and i and i recognize that in myself and i'm not going to say any of them out loud um three show choir shows that you are going to be a part of we're going to assume you have all like all whatever level of skill and talent you feel is necessary for this to just like be gangbusters but you get to pick like the theme of the show choir and it and it and it needs to stretch three things that sort of stretch it beyond like your traditional kind of like hey how do you do musical theater kind of stuff okay um so let's do uh Making peace with mortality. Um, Ooh, I love it. I love it. I love it. Let's do um, ex- existential aloneness. Um, and Wait. let's do uh, failures of capitalism. By the way, you would never stop selling tickets to any of these <laughs> if they were all show choir shows oh, nice. for grownups. Yeah. Oh, my God. You would never stop selling tickets. Okay. Uh, tell me what if you could be drinking anything right now, what would it be? Um, Hot chocolate, lemonade. No, limeade. Oh, no. You don't even have to give me three. I just want one. So oh, hot chocolate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. While I do this math, which is hardly math, will you please tell people more about the audiobook, all other places they can find you, what they should be checking out, how they can support the marvel that is you? And I will do this. So I have a new audiobook out on Audible called Dirtbag Anthropology, and it's essays and interviews about the subject of masculinity Um, and I explored this topic through uh, both kind of talking to people who have thought a lot about this stuff um, in various areas like I talked to Margaret Cho about like how she has navigated the changing norms of comedy throughout her multi-decade career I talked to um, a like a progressive feminist minister named Nadia Boltz Weber and it's super cool but I also wrote a lot about like my my own life and how I've been influenced by men including some of the stuff I talked about on this podcast so you know it's called Dirtbag Anthropology and it's free with any Audible subscription on Audible Plus. Um, I have my own podcast called Reply Guys which is a leftist feminist comedy podcast. Doesn't sound like it could all go together but it does and we get some really (laughs) great guests people running for office, journalists super cool. Um, And then if you want to check out my stand up I have a special on Netflix's The Comedy Lineup and I also uh, last year before the pandemic did the late show with Stephen Colbert so that stuff's all online nice okay I'm almost done and also you can follow me on Twitter at at Kate Willett oh, with two is. T's and you can follow me on Instagram at Kate dot Willett with two T's 
somehow you knew and you timed that out perfectly so they just finished up the very last category. So I am very excited to deliver these MASH results to you. I want first for you to feel very positive about the very positive effect that you are having on society as a politician, like a senator. None of the bullshit, only the good stuff. That's saying a lot (laughs) for that particular job. So I think that's very well played. Uh, I want to congratulate you for... Uh, your ability when, you know, listen, you're an emotional person, you care deeply, that's why you're doing this work as a senator, you are going to need to escape a little bit. So please rest assured that you can either go to your uh, fabulous second home in Buenos Aires, or jump into Taika's movie, Hunt for the Wilder People. Hell yeah. I want to say Wilder Beast, but I realize that that's because we're all used to Wilder Beast. Okay. Uh, so those two things are wonderful escapes. Uh, I want to congratulate you for the very sexy, short adventure of making out on It's a Small World with your romantic mash partner john lennon hell yeah (laughs) nice we're gonna do like the yoko photo you know that's right that's right exactly right that's actually kind of what i was picturing um you also can uh you also can enjoy oh and by the way if you want to feed him some chocolate covered strawberries while you guys are on that uh that ride feel free so romantic those snap of your fingers so romantic ramifications I'm also interested to hear uh, how that relationship... But you know what? Listen, Ani doesn't have to write about your relationship with frickin' John Lennon. Ani can just write about you being you. That's enough. We don't have to get into Bechtel testing here with Ani's album about you. That's a song... Those are songs for you about you. Yeah, I mean, really, she's probably going to... imaginary relationship. Yeah, no, she's probably going to dive into my whole uh, my whole past, you know, all of my all of my relationships, not just with John. That's right. She's got a lot of... She's got a lot of material, a lot of material. And in a surprise twist, a lot of people didn't see this coming. As a senator, you have the ability to, and this cl- the closeness of information that you are then able to expertly translate into this dynamite show choir show for grown-ups about the failures of capitalism. Hell yeah. Yeah. I hope right? John, you know, I hope he likes it, you know? Oh, he's on please he's on board all day long oh, nice. for that. Are you kidding me? It's fantastic. So that is your MASH Alt Universe 100 percent guaranteed future. Congratulations. I hope you're pleased with the results. I am I'm I mean, so stoked. Can I when God, when can I such start? A long pause. I oh no, really I was just like, what do I do? How like, do I get I, this? <laughs> I am not happy with this. <laughs> no, I love it. Who do it. I talk to about being unhappy with this? <laughs> no, no, no. I I I'm just like, when uh, do I start? How do I get this? Is there a pandemic <laughs> well, I'll going get you on all there? The paperwork. You know? Yeah, there's gonna be a few things that'll need your signature. I'll get you the paperwork post-haste. Uh I wanna thank you so much for doing the podcast. I've been looking forward to this and I'm so glad it happened. And I'm so glad you have all these wonderful projects that uh people need to and can check out um and i want to uh also just send a little love out to all the listeners hope you're taking care of yourselves and feeling taken care of and i will talk to you next time on the podcast thank you all right thank you so much janet this was a blast the show is recorded by me and edited by julian burrell and as always the jv club theme song is back before we were brittle by the amazing say hi MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.